Okay, if you want to find the book of Exodus, don't worry if not, it will appear as if by magic on the screen behind me. Exodus is the second book in the Bible, so it should be pretty easy to find. You just go to the front and then turn a few pages in and you should find the book of Exodus. We're gonna be speaking from there this morning. Let me just, I said as if by magic, but it's actually controlled by my phone. So here we go. See if we can make it work. Dum, da, dum, dum. Bum, bum, bum. No, fine. What, it did appear. Fine, it was just being, it was waiting for me to turn my back. Right, we're gonna read this together. This is just the first seven verses of Exodus chapter one and then I'm gonna explain what's going on and we're gonna talk about it this morning. It says, these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all of that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful, and increased greatly, they multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Let me pray. Yeah, Jesus, we, we thank you for this opportunity to uh, study your word this morning. Um, we do believe it's uh, wonderfully still relevant for our lives today and it will be forevermore. And um, this is perhaps the only thing in our lives that's really wonderfully, permanently true, is your word. And we want it to feed us, to do good to our souls. We know this, that uh, meeting you, Jesus, is the thing that changes us, that strengthens us, that helps us to live in this world that helps us to worship you, which is what we're made for. And we pray that as we look at these verses this morning that you'd be at work in our hearts and amongst us in this room. Thank you, God, that we could sing already that you're with us, that you never, never leave us. You're always at work in our lives and we trust that and believe in that this morning. Amen. Amen. So we're gonna work through this book of Exodus over the coming weeks and months. This morning we're gonna talk about Exodus being God's big story, um, why we're gonna, I'll explain why we're gonna look at the book of Exodus, then we'll talk about God's story and faithfulness, God's story and purpose, and God's story and uselessness. So first of all, why? Why Exodus? Because, you know, you might think maybe you don't read a Bible regularly, maybe you don't even own a Bible, uh, and you're here thinking, why on earth would anybody spend 
half an hour, um, if you're lucky, half an hour talking about the Bible. You know, what would, be the, what would be the point of that? Why would we look at a book in the Old Testament which uh, was written maybe three or 4,000 years ago? What relevance does that have to our lives today? What's the purpose of that? You know, what can Moses, the story of the people of Israel, the Exodus story, why is that at all relevant to my life? Well, a few reasons. First of all, very importantly, because it's all about God. <laughs> it's all about God. So there's, we, we would, many of us would be familiar with the story of Exodus, and as we go through it over the coming weeks, you'll think, oh yeah, I remember that from that movie or whatever. But the thing is, what, what movie directors do is they, they take the story and they kind of, they zoom in on Moses, the hero, Whereas actually, as we go on, we're going to find out that Moses had some heroic moments, but he was also a bit of an idiot as well sometimes. And actually, the Bible, because the, the Bible all over the place refers back to this story of Exodus, because it's a really crucial story in the Bible. But whenever the Bible talks about it, its focus isn't actually all about Moses. Its focus is about God, about the wonder of God, of who he is. And it's a story that shows us some of the character of God. It talks about his justice and his mercy, his love and his holiness. So that's why we're going to look at it, because we want to learn more about God. And also, not only is it, is it all about God, but very much in particular, it tells us a lot about Jesus. In Jude, it says, this is talking about the Exodus story, it says, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, you know, if we've seen the movie, we'd think, no, 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 it wasn't Jesus, that was Moses that did that. It was Moses that led the people out. But actually, the Bible says no, it, was, it was Jesus. I'm not saying that those two people are the, the same person, but God was at the heart of the Exodus. Exodus is the story of God's deliverance of his story of how he saved the people. And even Jesus himself, when he was teaching his disciples in Luke, the Gospel of Luke, he sat down with them to explain the Bible. And he says, and beginning with Moses, he means by that the story of Exodus, and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So what Jesus did, he sat down with his disciples, he turned to the book of Genesis, the book of Exodus written by Moses, he told the story of the Exodus, and he said to them, this is all about me. This is all about me. And that's important for us to hear, because as we go through this week by week, we're gonna discover this story is all about Jesus. But also we'll discover that, as well as it being about God, wonderfully, it's all about us as well. It's not just a story about a bunch of people that lived thousands of years ago, but it's a story that's it's in the Bible, it's in here, because we need to hear it. So again, it says in 1 Corinthians, now, and it's talking again about the story of Exodus, it says, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. These were written down for us to, uh, to feed on, to, to be benefited by, to grow by. Because you see, Exodus, it's not, just, it's not just one story of one salvation that happened. It's not just a story of how the people of God were saved and delivered. But it's a story about how all of us 
if we are believers in Jesus, can be saved and delivered. 1 Corinthians 5 says, for Christ, Jesus, was our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. We'll look at that in, in a, a little bit later as we work through this. That actually the, the Passover lamb, the sacrifice that died for us was Jesus. This story is all about us. It's a story about how Jesus is, uh, is drawing each of you out of your own Egypt, out of your own bondage to slavery, how by his grace he draws you out. And the story of Exodus, it all builds up. It's building up all the time to where they build the temple, the place of worship, the Holy of Holies. And all the time, the stories, this deliverance takes place to lead the people into what they've been made for, their purpose to worship God. And this central theme of this story is God's deliverance of slaves. And it's his story of our deliverance. Um, so as we go through this, I'll, I'll say it right up at the front. There are some weeks where what I'm gonna say might be a little bit painful. Because we're gonna speak into some real earthy life issues. We're gonna speak into some issues which may be almost holding you in slavery. Things that you can't break free from. Things that oppress you and hurt you and cause you pain in your heart. Maybe things that nobody else in this room knows about but you. And we're not gonna put your names up on the screen and expose you, but we're gonna talk about these issues because this is what this story is about. It's about us being delivered and finding freedom in Jesus. So don't be scared by that, don't be put off, but you might even wanna just go away each week and just ask God and come here on a Sunday morning just saying, God, I wanna be open to what you have to say to me. I don't wanna kinda of close, because we can, we can sometimes bring sort of 95% of us to God and there's a little bit that we just keep hidden away. We think, well, that bit's, that, nobody can know that. Nobody can touch that. Uh, I encourage you each week as you come here just to say, do you know what? I'm just going to bring all of myself to church this morning. I'm not going to hide anything away. I'm just going to bring all of it and just see what God wants to do in my life. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to get into this first passage, um, which may seem a little peculiar to you, and just explain what's, what's going on. So just to remind her from those first few verses, it, it gives us a, a list of names, a list of names of people uh, and what it's doing here is it's giving us a, a, a kind of a bridge, a link from the story of Genesis, what's happened to the people of God, and it's taken us on to the next stage of that story. It's kind of, it's setting the scene for the whole book. This is like in the start of Star Wars where you see the kind of the thing scrolling back on the screen, you know, in a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. This is doing the same thing. This is telling us, this is giving us the kind of the backstory, the background to help us to set the scene for the story that's gonna follow. And in this introduction, we meet, we meet uh, these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob. That can be confusing. That's talking about the same person. Jacob received this new name, Israel. So it, the story tells us about how this family, Jacob, Israel, and his sons, 70 of them in total, how they became, from just a family of 70, how they became an, a nation 
how they became the people of God. And Jacob, if you don't know him, he's the son of Isaac, and Isaac was the son of Abraham. And the story goes on, and it just also one of Jacob's sons was, was Joseph. And you may or may not know the story of Joseph, and you'll discover that these guys here on this list weren't very nice to Joseph because they sold him into slavery. Now, we've had some moments in our family where we have disputes and arguments, but we've never sold anybody to slavery. But that's what happened to Joseph. His, his, his brothers actually tried to kill him, um, and in the end, they took pity on him and just sold him into slavery instead, which is a weird kind of act of mercy. Um, and Joseph, so that's how Joseph ends up in Egypt. He spends some time kind of serving in Pharaoh's household, and then things go pear-shaped there, and he ends up in jail. Based. Do you know pear-shaped? Is that a very English phrase? Like a shape of a pear? It means weird. Like, it shouldn't be like that. Okay. Bad. Something goes pear-shaped. Sorry. Does that, do you know what that means, pear-shaped? A few nods. Okay. Okay. I don't normally eat pears. Anyway, so, so things, go, things go wrong, and uh, Joseph ends up in jail, and then he starts interpreting different, I'm whizzing through the story, you can read it for yourself in Genesis, it's a brilliant story. He starts interpreting these dreams, uh, and one thing leads to another, and he finds himself released from jail, serving Pharaoh again, and he basically becomes like the number two, the sort of the prime minister, the kind of the governor of the whole country, God gives him this incredible position and status. And what happens is, at the same time, this famine takes place. And lots of people are very hungry, but Joseph has prepared Egypt, because um, uh, Pharaoh had a dream about it. They've prepared Egypt. They've got all these storehouses full of food. So all the other nations around start coming to Egypt saying, give us some food, and his brothers turn up. And they think he's dead. They don't know what's happened to him. So they don't know he's in Egypt. And his brothers come along, they don't recognize Joseph. Joseph uh, tricks them uh, and has a, plays a bit of a nasty game on them and then gets them to come back and bring Jacob, his dad, with them. And then his whole family comes back together in Egypt and he reveals, Joseph reveals his identity and you get this beautiful moment of reconciliation when this family is brought together. And then they end up settling in Egypt, which is where Exodus then picks up. This family have made their home here now. They've settled, uh, and things have, things have moved on, as this story tells us, that obviously Joseph has died, his brothers have died, that generation's died, and Exodus is, is hundreds of years later. It's kind of the story is wisdom. We don't really know what happened in that season, but we, we pick up the story in Exodus hundreds of years later. And you could think that, you could think that uh, Israel's, uh, uh, presence, how this, these families, this family of 70 or so, it may seem like a bit of a, almost just an accident, just a peculiar moment that they kind of somehow ended up in Egypt, that one thing sort of led to another, things went pear-shaped, and then suddenly there they are in Egypt. But actually, we'll see that it, it wasn't just a kind of a fluke. There are no, there are no accidents in God's plan. Because it says in, in Genesis uh, 12 that you get these two accounts in the book of Genesis where first of all, uh, Abraham or Abraham and his, Sarah and, and his wife Sarah, they end up in, in Egypt. And uh, again, that's a, a bizarre story. But God kind of, uh, uh, she ends up 
uh, staying in Pharaoh's household, uh, but then God, in a kind of a foretaste of what's to come, sends this plague on Pharaoh's household, and they kick them out. So it's almost as though the people of God go to Egypt once, and God says, no, I'm not going to let that happen, and brings them out. And then again, you see in Genesis 26, 26, Isaac wants to go to Egypt, and God tells him very clearly, no, you shall not go to Egypt. So you get these two instances in Genesis where the people of God, they want to go to Egypt, and God very clearly says, no, you mustn't. But then here, it seems to have happened. They've arrived. Somehow or other, God's, uh, God's led them there. And the thing is, it was very much part of God's plan. It says in Genesis 15, this is hundreds of years before, it says, the Lord said to Abraham, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs. He's talking about them going to Egypt. They'll be servants there. They'll be afflicted for 400 years, but I'll bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. So they're, they're here because God's told them this is exactly what's going to happen. This wasn't an accident. It wasn't just a fluke. God's led them to this place. He's led them here. In Genesis 46, he says, then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid. This is God speaking to Jacob. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I'll make you into a great nation. You see, God keeps his promises. Things don't happen by accident, and God keeps his promise. Because all through the book of Genesis, we see God appearing to his people and making these kind of these covenants, these agreements, these promises with them. First of all, with Abraham in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15. Then he comes again to Isaac. He comes again to Jacob and he kind of keeps underlining this covenant, this promise that he will keep, that he will fulfill. And that's the story of the people of God is God comes and make these covenants, these agreements, these arrangements. I'll do this and you do this. The people of God let God down, but God always keeps his end of the bargain. He always keeps his promises. And the thing is, that's really important for us to know because as we get into this story, particularly even next week, there's gonna be lots of moments where you think, God's not keeping his promises where things are gonna look a bit bleak for the people of Israel, where you'll read the story and you think, I mean, next week, it's, next week is an account of genocide. It, it's horrible. And you, you can read those things and you think, how can, how can God keep his promises when that happens? But God does keep his promises. Sometimes we just have to trust God. We just have to believe in our hearts. You see, because God's, Design, God's plan is always perfect. It's always perfect. And we don't see it like that sometimes. Some, you might even be sitting here today thinking, I don't, how do, the same way that the people of God probably often felt in that 400 year period where Joseph, Jacob, they've all died and they're increasingly being brought into slavery. That's what we'll read about next week. And they were probably thinking again and again, how did we end up here? How did that happen? And maybe you're even thinking that this morning. How did I end up in this church with these crazy people? How did I end up in this city? How did my life get to this place? How on earth did, I, did that happen? Or you might be thinking, how did I let that happen? 
But God's design for us is perfect. That doesn't mean that we don't sin and we don't fail. We don't try and make things happen our own way. But God graciously always wins us back, draws us back to him. And his plan for our lives is perfect. It's all part of his design. It's all part of his story. If we move on to the next few verses, this is what we've been talking about, that Joseph's died. All his brothers in that generation, they've died. But in this, this season, this 400 years, something happens. It says the people of Israel were fruitful and they increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that our land was filled with them. And you see, God always has a purpose that he's working out. Because these verses, they're going right back to the start of Genesis. Right back when God commissions Adam and Eve. When he tells them what they're supposed to do. That they're supposed to go into the land and be fruitful. They're supposed to go into the land and multiply. And we find that that's exactly what's, what's happening. God's just fulfilling his promise. As he said to them right at the start of the story. Right at the start of the book. He says this is what's going to happen. And we find this is exactly what happens. God keeps his promises. God always has a purpose. You see, because hundreds of years has passed, and this family of 70 or so people, they've become this nation. There's thousands and thousands upon them, of them now. And God, in his plan, he's always been trying to form a people, a community, to bring them together. He's always wanted to multiply that, to grow that, and for you, God's plan is well designed and it has a purpose. That there's a reason, even that you're here this morning, there's a reason for that. You might not know what that is. There's a reason for why God's brought you to this city. Maybe you're just here as a tourist. Maybe you've just moved here, you're just setting up home here. There's a reason that God's called you here. You might think, no, it was, it was my job or it was because I'm here to study. And you think, well, that's, that's half true, but that's only half the truth. There's another truth that God's brought you here for a purpose, because he has a plan, because there's something he wants to do in your life. But the thing is, what's really important for us to understand is that often that plan, his purposes, they can be a bit mysterious. They're not mistaken, they're not wrong, but we'll be real about this. Often God's plans for our life are very mysterious. Often we can't really tell quite what he's doing. Because as we've seen in these verses, they've grown fruitful and they've multiplied. But at the same time, as we find out, as we go through the book, they get drawn into slavery, that they're being oppressed. And I wonder if all the time, if they, were, if they could still remember these covenant promises, if they could go back and would they be able to remember what God said to Abraham, what God said to Isaac, what God said to Jacob, would they know the story of Joseph and what happened to him? This is hundreds of years later. Would they, even, would they be aware of that? Or they might just be thinking, oh, that's just nonsense. God's forgotten us. God's left us. Because you'll learn this as you grow in following Jesus that God doesn't, doesn't often explain why things happen in our lives. 
we don't, we don't get like something happens and then the next day we get an email, oh, this is why that happened. Oh, yes, I was preparing you for something happen that's going to happen in five years' time. God doesn't tend to work like that because he's leading us all the time to trust in him. He doesn't explain to us why things happen. Sometimes, sometimes he does, but often he doesn't. But what he does all the time is God gives us insight into his character. All the time he's helping us to know him. <laughs> and we just want to know what's going to happen. We just want to know what's the next page of the story. We just want to flip to the end and find out what's going to happen in our lives. But God doesn't really want to, he's not going to let us in on that. Sometimes he does, but most of the time he doesn't because he wants us to know him, to trust him, to be drawn into a relationship with him, to know him as our father. It says in, it says in Isaiah 55, says, this is God's voice here speaking. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Thank goodness. Imagine if God's thoughts were my thoughts. That'd be terrible. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. God's, he's different from us, thankfully. <laughs> he doesn't think in the same way we do. He doesn't make the mistakes that we do. He doesn't stumble and trip up like we do. He's different from us. He thinks and plans differently from, from how, how we plan. There's a helpful quote by a, an English theologian called Charles Spurgeon. He wrote this a couple hundred years ago. He said, God is too good to be unkind and too wise to be mistaken. And when we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. When we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. And so often, and we'll talk about this a lot more next week, but so often that's, that's the story of our life, that we can't really trace what's happening and why. Can't really understand why that happened, why this thing that I really wanted to happen didn't happen, why this relationship has broken down, why I'm in my overdraft again, where I can't seem to break this habit. Why hasn't God done this for me? Why hasn't this happened? And we, we can't understand it sometimes. And we, we want to be able to sort of step back and take a view of what, what's happening in life, but we can't always do that, and we can't see. We can't trace what God's doing, but we can trust him. <laughs> you can trust him. He's faithful. He's the only one really you, you, you can trust with your whole heart who will never let you down. Now, let's move on to the, the last bit and then we'll draw things to an end. Happy title for you. See, uselessness or things going pear-shaped or you going pear-shaped, things going wrong or you going wrong you being useless, that's no barrier for God. It won't stop his story, his plan being worked out. Because it, it, whenever we look at the story of what's happening around us, there, there are two common factors that will always appear. One is God, and the second is you. Have you noticed that? The one common denominator in everything that goes wrong in your life is you. <laughs> We blame it on all sorts of other things, but they change every time. But the thing that's always there is you. 
I don't mean that, it's me as well, it's not just you, it's me too. But that's the one factor. And the thing is, these, these guys that we've read about, these 12 brothers and Jacob himself, these guys, they're right, do you remember that American TV show, Jerry Springer, does anyone remember that? This sort of TV show where they bring like a bunch of families on the stage and they have these kind of crazy rows about, you put my cat in the microwave, that sort of angry, angry discussions. I don't know if that one ever happened, but that would be pretty horrible. But these, these brothers, they, they would, they would, if they were alive now, that's the first place they would go, Jerry Springer, to try and sort out all their problems. I mean, they, they literally sold their brother into slavery. That's just not cool. You just shouldn't do that for lots of reasons. And the thing is, the, the irony is that they sold their brother into slavery, but yet 400 years later, it's their families that then become the slaves. And if we even, if you go through each of these brothers individually, I mean, they do some, some horrible things. So one of the brothers, Judah, he, he, uh, he sleeps with his daughter-in-law because he thinks she's a prostitute. He doesn't realize it's his daughter-in-law. Um, and then when, when, when he finds out what's happened, he suggests that she's burned alive. Okay, that's not a good thing to do either. You can read about that in Genesis 38. Uh, Levi and Simeon, two of the other brothers, their sister is raped, uh, and they hunt down the man that did it. They go into his city where he lived, and they kill all the men, all of them. They just kill them all, and then they steal all their possessions, and then they leave. That was their retribution. And these guys, again, are in this list. These um, are people who made some terrible mistakes. You know, Jacob even, this father, he's in this position of being this kind of head of this family and this new nation. He's there because he stole his brother's birthright. This should have been Esau, it should have been his story, but Jacob tricked him and stole it from him. These are people that made some horrendous mistakes. The second half of the book of Genesis is just mistake after mistake after mistake that these guys made. And as we go into the rest of the story, we'll see things get increasingly bleak and things go bad. But all the time, all the time we can see hope because as we said already, God's designed this, that this was God's plan because he wanted to deliver a people. He wanted to save a people. And he's designed in God's wonderful mystery, he's designed that hope will come even sometimes from the most broken, horrible situations. That even in, in the midst of really broken, messed up lives, something beautiful can come, can come right out of the center of it. And we can see this really helpfully in a, in a slightly bizarre story in, in Genesis 47. So as I said already, uh, Joseph was this kind of powerful man in Egypt and he's, he's led his, his brothers and his dad there. And then there's this moment where his, his dad, Jacob, goes and meets Pharaoh, the king of the whole thing, in Genesis 47. It says, then Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and he stood him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. It's really important. Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many are the days of the years of your life? Uh, and Jacob, no one's ever asked me that. That's a bizarre question, is it? 
how many of the days of the years of your life? I'd be like, what the? I don't know. I need a calculator. And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. So that's your answer. That's how you answer that one. And then he says, few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. They have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. He's saying, look, I've messed up. He said, I'm making, compared to the people that went before me, I've made some terrible mistakes. And then it says again, Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Now, you see, this is amazing, this, these few verses, because Pharaoh, is, he's the emperor. He's the king of Egypt. He's the boss. And Egypt at the time was the most powerful. This is the most powerful guy on the planet. And yet you get broken, old, frail, 130-year-old Jacob who's made a mess of his life and Jacob blesses Pharaoh? You see, it should be the other way around. Jacob is the power, uh, Pharaoh is the powerful one. Pharaoh is the one with the power and the authority and the might. He should be blessing Jacob. But Jacob blesses Pharaoh. Jacob blesses Pharaoh. See, because... God can take you in your frailty, your mess, and your mistakes, and he can make you a blessing, <laughs> a blessing to people around you. Even people that you think, oh, that guy's got it all so sewn up, he's doing so well. In God's grace, you can be a blessing to them. You can look at this city and feel daunted of how on earth can we be any sort of blessing to this city it's just too big and too vast and too powerful. Even us, in our frailty and weakness, God's called us to be a blessing to the city around us, to serve and love this city. You see, because you, you can have a, a, a horrible Jacob, Judah, Levi, Simeon, you can have that story to your life. And yet God will still bless you. God can still use you. God can still take all of that and redeem that, rescue that. See, because God's called you and me, all of us who follow Jesus, he's called us into this great story, not because we're worthy. <laughs> the thing is, we can, we can read about Levi and Judah and Jacob and we can... We get the hindsight of thousands of years later, we can look back at them and we can look down on them and think those guys were real idiots. Um, and unfortunately for them, they get to have their stories of their mistakes written down in this book forever. That's not going to happen to any of you guys. There's not going to be another book written in the Bible of Len's mistakes. That's not going to get in there. It'll be small anyway. <laughs> but the thing is, is... In many ways, we're just the same as these guys. Our mistakes look different, but we've all made mistakes. There's nobody here that can say, uh, I'm flawless. There's nobody here that can say, well, I'm doing great. Everything's been good in my life. I've never failed. You could try and say that, but you'd be lying. <laughs> and sooner or later, you'll realize that. But the thing is, 
We've not been called into God's story but because we're worthy, but because he's chosen to rescue us. Because he has a plan, not just for your life, but he has a plan for his glory. And he's called you to come and be a part of that. He's got a plan for your deliverance, that Jesus can rescue you. Jesus has rescued you. The same way that that Joseph, in his weakness, could go and bless Pharaoh, that Jesus was dying on a cross in, in all his weakness. There's nothing, there's nothing powerful about that. At the time, nobody would have thought that was powerful. He was just killed like a common criminal. He, just, he was just left hanging on, this, on these bits of wood where people around him, probably wasn't many people watching, and they, they just thought, oh, just another, another, another lowly criminal. Another person who's, there's nothing powerful about him. You know, they put the crown on his head to mock him king of the Jews because they were mocking him because they were saying you can't be the king look how frail you are look how weak you are but Jesus in that moment of weakness what looks like to us weakness performs the most powerful act that's ever taken place in our universe it's delivered and saved each and every one of you and Jacob can go before Pharaoh and frail and made a mess of his life and, and he can bless this powerful man. Jesus, who never made any mistakes, can come and bless all of us. We're going to draw things to a, a close now. Why don't you just stand to your feet and the, Len and the musicians are going to come and lead us in a song. And Tom's going to lead us in communion, but I'm just going to pray first of all. Jesus, we... We thank you that, that you take weakness and frailty and you perform wonderful things with that. And, and that, that's exactly how you want us to come to you. You don't want us to come saying, look at all these good things I've done. <laughs> look, look at all these great deeds I've done this week. God, we can come to you and say, I've got nothing to offer you. And yet you receive us with your grace and your love and your mercy. And this is completely different from anything else any other religion on this planet offers. We'd have to come and bring a pilgrimage, bring a success, bring the right prayer, bring the right sacrifice. We come exactly as we are. By your grace we're received and we're loved and in our weakness, in our frailty you come to set us free to deliver us God I pray for us right now that you'd speak deep into our hearts to help us to know you Father help us to know what you've done for us I pray as we walk through this book this story over the coming weeks that you do deep work in our hearts (laughs) to help us to really walk in this freedom that you've given us. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us. Amen.